This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, April 18th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ahead this hour, the venerable rock band Black Oak, Arkansas, will be at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs this week. Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History found archives of the band to help tell their story. That's in about 20 minutes. First, the Washington County Emergency Rental Assistance Program has provided financial relief to landlords on behalf of thousands of income-eligible tenants unable to pay rent or utility bills because of the pandemic. In early April, households were abruptly notified their assistance was terminated. But as Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, the situation late last week took a fortunate turn. On April Fool's Day, April 1st, thousands of residents enrolled in Washington County's Emergency Rental Assistance Program were notified it had run out of money. For questions, they were instructed to contact a special number. The Washington County Emergency Rental Assistance Program will no longer be accepting applications due to insufficient funding. The rent relief program targeted households experiencing financial hardship due directly or indirectly to the COVID-19 pandemic. Chad Arsenal relocated to the Ozarks from Louisiana eight years ago. He operates AAA Cleaning, a residential and commercial service. He says he's always paid rent on time. But after quitting a second job at a local warehouse due to a mismanaged COVID-19 outbreak at the facility last December, he applied for a temporary rental assistance from the county. Well, they, they approved me December 22nd, and they sent a letter to it. Uh, to me saying that um, I was approved for 2700 which is three months because my rent's 900 a month. Arson is among millions of Americans dealing with rental debt due to COVID-19. And the three months of rent relief he was eligible and expected to receive was giving him a chance to recover. April 1st, I get a, uh, an email at about 8 o'clock in the morning from Washington County. Saying the funding had run out, Arsenault says county had notified him three weeks earlier, warning the March payment might be late. My landlord emails me and says, um, uh, uh, you only have um, January and February's um, rent pay. Uh, March and April's not paid. Arsenault says he'd been approved for emergency rent through June, so had budgeted accordingly, all the while maintaining his cleaning business. But then his landlord called. I'm going to have to serve you an eviction notice. I said, you going to serve me an eviction notice today? I said, yep, I'm going to have to. So me and my wife leaves. We went, uh, I think we're going to do a cleaning. We came back, and sure enough, we got an eviction notice on our door, they had three days to vacate the premises due to non-payment, due to us not paying March and April's rent. Arsenault says he plans to fight the eviction, saying he's not at fault here. He's among 3,600 applicants who were approved for emergency rental assistance, or ERA, a total of $10.5 million, delivered in two rounds to county residents. ERA Round 1 funding came out of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2020 and ERA 2 from the American Rescue Plan, enacted in March of last year. We queried County Attorney and Chief of Staff Brian Lester... No response, but at an April 4th Quorum Court Services Committee meeting, Lester had this to say. Uh, We sent letters out to individuals in the program to say, hey, we are expecting more money. There may be some lag time in March, uh, but once we get that money, we'll 
process it just like we have. Lester claimed he'd been expecting $3.4 million in ERA2 funding. We have been waiting, and we wait every day to find out what's going on or to hear something that we've received, this additional funding. And unfortunately, we haven't, and I know that that's a problem for a lot of people. Lester later said in hindsight he would have ended the program in January, notifying enrolled county households. And it's a very unfortunate thing for our our tenants who are, you know, had, had come to depend on this and were looking for this to help them get through. But the fact of the matter is there's no ERA money to give them right now. Washington County District 9 Justice of the Peace, Eva Madison, was at that meeting. What, I, what my most frustrating part right now is is that we've not been given any explanation for why people were sent letters of approval when there wasn't going to be money. I mean, to me, it seems like you had to know how much you had. So Suki Lynn Hires, District 11, Washington County Justice of the Peace, at an April 12th Quorum Court Finance and Budget Committee meeting, proposed a stopgap ordinance extracting money from a county pandemic fund. I had requested um, $3.1 million out of the American Rescue Plan Fund, which was designed to um, help counties deal with um, the after effects of COVID to help cover those folks who had been told that they would have rent covered and then found out a little too late that their rent would not be paid for March nor April. Her ordinance died in committee. I left that meeting feeling incredibly dejected and very sad Um, We had several people that had come to speak to the court about the plight that they were in as a result of this. It just, it it, it hurt. Um, You know, I really had hoped that the committee would be ready to um, reach out and help these folks. And to have that silence was really hard for me to take. But two days later, April 14th, Washington County Judge Joseph Wood issued a media statement announcing that over $1.7 million in federal rental assistance funding from the U.S. Treasury had been received. Some households, he said, would have March and April rents paid, others three months rent covered. Again, Quorum Court J.P. Suki Lynn hires. I am obviously elated that the money finally um, came into our account. Um, I really hope that it's not too late for some of the families who have not paid March rent yet um, whenever the money actually gets to them. But I'm thrilled that we got half of the money that we requested, and I hope the other half of the money appears quickly. Washington County will resume payments for rent and utility assistance this Thursday, April 21st. For Ozarks at Large... I'm Jacqueline Froelich. A report from Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families indicates black women continue to experience systemic racism, bias, and discrimination within the health care system in Arkansas and the U.S. as a whole. Cassandra Glover, health policy analyst with the group, says black women are disproportionately affected by chronic health conditions relative to other women in the United States. We know that racism is ingrained in the various systems that Black women must interact with daily, including our healthcare system. 
Um, we know that this is also due to the intersecting identities that Black women have in the United States, whether it's race, gender, class, sexual orientation, ability. The more intersectionalities that people have, the more disproportionately affected they'll be by health disparities. Dr. Gloria Richard Davis directs the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Speaking in a virtual forum last week, she said the generational and chronic stress often faced by Black women contributes to negative health outcomes. We know that racism is ingrained in the various systems that Black women must interact with daily, including our healthcare system. Um, we know that this is also due to the intersecting identities that Black women have in the United States, whether it's race, gender, class, sexual orientation, ability. The more intersectionalities that people have, the more disproportionately affected they'll be by health disparities. Richard Davis says on average, Black women are more likely to die from chronic conditions than other women, while nearly half of all Black women over 20 years of age have some form of heart disease. Panel participants are calling for more Black professionals in the medical field, as well as more health care policies to be viewed through a racial equity lens in order to help mitigate the problem. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. This is Ozarks at Large. Arkansas is one of 14 states without a dental school. Every state bordering Arkansas has one, and it's one of 23 without a veterinary school. A new plan would place both a dental school and a veterinary school in Little Rock. They would be part of the new Lyon College Institute of Health Sciences. The proposals have been approved by the Board of Trustees of Lyon, a school that has its main campus in Batesville. Announced to the public last week, the concept is a strategic partnership with One Health Education Group. Last week, we talked with Lyon College President Melissa Tavener and Fraser Edwards, the president of One Health by Zoom. Melissa Tavener says discussions about the schools have been taking place for some time and the proposals are in line with the school's mission. She says the public announcement last week comes as Lyon College observes its 150th anniversary. So that milestone is a great opportunity to sort of take stock and figure out, okay, where have we been? Where are we going? And where do we need to go? Um, what are the, the roles that we can play in, um, in Arkansas and in higher education within the state and beyond. And so we have been thinking for a few years about what our mission is, which has always been the, um, the education of undergraduates, um, liberal arts based, but also folks who get training and they go off and do amazing things, whether it's in healthcare or in business or you know, whatever. Um, and so we were thinking, okay, we have this great um, foundation. Um, our med school acceptance rate is double, more than double the, um, the, the national average. So we already have that foundation of STEM really, really solid. And so it would make it made a lot of sense for us to think, okay, what what else? What else could we do? And so the dual conversations that we were having were was, okay, what else can we do in the STEM field? And then what else could we do beyond the undergraduate level? So we were already thinking about graduate programs that made sense for us that sort of circled back to mission. Um, and so we were thinking about graduate programs. We were thinking about graduate programs in healthcare, um, in the realm of healthcare. We were already working with our partners in Batesville, the White River uh, Health Systems, to formulate the RN to BSN program, and that was in direct response to a need in this area to educate. Uh, registered nurses further so that they stay here, educate them here, stay here. That's a theme that you will hear a lot uh, today. Um, So we were already sort of going in uh, the direction of healthcare. And then we thought, well, what are the other needs that the state of Arkansas has? 
And the obvious needs are exactly what you've said. The, the lack of uh, professional preparation for veterinary medicine and dental medicine, oral care, oral health care um, is profound. I mean, we have absolutely qualified students who could take seats at those at the in, in those professional groups, in those professional training sites, but they have to leave the state. And you tend to stay where you train. So bringing that opportunity home means that we can contribute to the nationwide need for practitioners in both of those fields, but at the same time, do it, do it at Arkansas, serve Arkansans, the students in Arkansas, but also attract people from all over the country and honestly, all over the world to train here who could potentially stay here and contribute to healthcare. And so those were conversations that we were sort of, we were at like a 50,000 foot level. And then we became aware that One Health was having very similar conversations. And this wasn't something that we all started at the same place. We started separately and then sort of we found the point where we were aware of each other's conversations. We were aware of, oh, you're doing that too. Oh, we're thinking about this. And then we started a conversation that very rapidly um, progressed to a, a very fruitful part partnership. Fraser Edwards, let me bring you in. Uh, One Health had been thinking about this separately. What did it mean to hear that there was somebody else uh, also moving along this timeline? Well, I think it was exciting. And, you know, I don't think any of these concepts aren't new ideas in, in terms of trying to start these schools. But I think what was unique is um, the intent behind uh, what Line was trying to do. Uh, what we were trying to do, the mission, how we wanted to accomplish those goals, and then the desire to move and to move quickly in a way that um, we can accomplish this by pulling resources together, by uh, working with like-minded people who not only want to build something just to build something because we don't have it, but to do it the right way for the right reason. So it was very exciting to know that they were doing it. And then, you know, um, as Melissa had said, it's uh, when we started these conversations with them, uh, we realized very quickly that uh, what we were doing and what they were doing, we could do better together. And uh, it, it was exciting. We know that there is a, a, a dentist shortage in Arkansas, and it's a particularly acute in, in, in many rural areas. We know that uh, the, the person to veterinarian ratio is, is, you know, at a disadvantage in Arkansas. So these will help these shortages, obviously. What I also know is there are people who would like to go into these fields, but perhaps they don't want to go to Memphis or Baton Rouge or Columbia, Missouri, or can't afford out-of-state tuition. So there's also another benefit that could come out of this in that people who want to go into the fields of veterinary medicine or, or dental medicine might more likely go if there is a dental or vet school. That, that's yes. correct. And, and you know, if, it, if you do any homework on me and, and my passions as a person, rural health care is uh, at the heart of everything I try to focus on. I don't think you can impact Arkansas without impacting rural health care. Um, we are a very rural state. In my experience in working with students and everything, I think the model that we're trying to build uh, has an appreciation towards those desires of the students who 
want to work in those fields. I open this question to both of you because these are big ideas, and sometimes big ideas can be intimidating, right? If you have to start with the building blocks and you have to make transitions, what does it take to make big ideas become reality? A foundation that is solid, that is based on planning and planning and planning, Ally, uh, identifying resources that are going to be necessary, and then having a timeline and partners that can help you move forward step by step by step. As you said, these are huge projects. This is not something where you just sort of like snap your fingers and, oh yeah, that's done. Um, no, no, there are so many people that are involved in the conversations. Even before we went public, there were so many people that have been a part of us thinking about how do we do this right? Not just how to do it. There's a lot of ways to do it, but there's one way to do it well and to do it in a sustainable fashion. So finding the right collaborators, finding the right partners, finding the right way to construct these, these the, the curriculum, the, the locations, all this sort of things. All of this is important. And so you have to, to take, the, basically you play the long game. You say, okay, we're going to do this thing. We've already begun. We've, begun. we've got a lot of things already in place. Now the next steps would be A. The next step after that is B. And then you just take it a step at a time and you don't rush it. And you make sure that everybody continues to communicate and everybody continues to be on the same page and still focused on the mission at hand. You know, I think and, you said that perfectly. And if I can only add one thing, it's, it's, I think that that's, that's trust and trust in the process, trust in what each of each other are doing and understanding those timelines, understanding the, the gravity of what we're trying to accomplish. And uh, like you said, take it one step at a time. And, and that's what we're doing. And, and that's why we have the partnership that we have is because it is built on that trust and those solid foundations that you mentioned. You've gone public now, and I'm, I'm sure there's, you, you've been hearing from all sorts of people that are anxious for this. There is a timeline. You do have to go through accreditation and things like that. What should we in the public be watching as we move through the next two or three or four years? Yeah, we, we, have, we have said that we are going to, um, that this, these schools will be located in Little Rock. Uh, we are in the process of finalizing exactly where that will be. That should happen sometime soon. I mean, time, we, we stay away from the exact timelines because things impact them and you don't necessarily know what's happening. But we in, sometime in the near future, we should be able to share the, the location of these schools. Um, we will begin the process of identifying the leadership for the schools, the deans for both of the, the schools. Um, you know, the accreditation is going, there are three accreditors involved. And so those three things are going to be going on in a parallel fashion. Um, so, I mean, we, when we reach milestones, we will share them with folks to let, let them know. It's like, hey, we are still moving along here and here's the next big milestone and we're really excited about it. And that's another evidence, a piece of evidence that this is a successful project. Yeah, I, I think you said, you know, again, if I can just echo what you said, I think it's uh, the accreditation process. It's sensitive. You know, they while we are going through the process, um, 
you have to be careful about what you share and what you can't share because you don't want it to negatively impact the process by um, saying something that could change in the accreditation process. Um, it is a communication back and forth to make sure that you're adhering to standards and, and uh, practices that um, ultimately help assure the success of the school. So, um, you know, we want to share the milestones when they happen. And I think, you know, just like Dr. Tavner said, it's uh, the big ones that I think everyone will see is when we start hiring faculty, when we start hiring a dean, naming the location, um, when we're able to start announcing those in accordance to the timelines of the accreditation and and its process. Our conversation with Fraser Edwards, the president of One Health, and Melissa Tavener, the president of Lyon College, took place last week over Zoom. is the sound of Black Oak, Arkansas, Jim Dandy. Randy Dixon's with the David David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. He's with me at the Carver Center for Public Radio. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Randy. I've been looking forward to this one. (laughs) Uh, This is going to be fun. Rock and roll from rural Arkansas. Oh, absolutely. I mean, classic Southern rock. I grew up listening to it. uh, And Black Oak, Arkansas... Actually, from Northeast Arkansas, town Black Oak in Arkansas. Yep. Uh, their front man, lead singer, outrageous guy, uh, Jim Dandy Mangrum. And uh, these were a group of guys that went to high school together. They went to Monette High School and decided they'd form a band. And. Uh, <laughs> they needed some equipment, so they stole the PA system from the high school. Yeah, and now the legend, at least that I've heard, is that it took someone seeing them actually play live to recognize the PA equipment. Like, it had been stolen from the high school, and then weeks and, or months later, they saw this band and, and went, hey. And I think they fled <laughs> to, to you know hone their skills. Mm-hmm. And uh, word has that, that they would practice in an empty silo outside of town, grain silo. And uh, as a matter of fact, I believe they were convicted in absentia. That's what I've always read. I don't, I've never seen a legal and, document that said that. But no. I've, but I've seen that in the bio. Right, that uh, and that they were actually uh, sentenced to 26 years at Cummins Prison, but that was suspended. Yeah, uh, you know, after they made it big, and and they were big. They, uh, you know, Southern Rock was just coming. They were kind of ahead of the curve mm-hmm. um, because they started playing together uh, in the early 60s uh, and then really kind of hit it in the late 60s, early 70s. Right. But they had, you know, the dual lead guitars and they were up there with 
the Allman Brothers and Leonard Skinner. Marshall Tucker Band. Yeah. Hatcher, yeah. I mean, they were selling out arenas, headlining festivals. They were at a California Jam Festival that had 200,000 people there. Toured with Alice Cooper and, and some of the Oh, all the big names. Yeah. 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 Um, so. We're gosh. talking about them. Because they're going to be playing live around here very soon. Yes, this Friday, they're going to be at uh, the auditorium in Eureka Springs. They're opening for the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Who kind of hail out of the Springfield, Missouri area. Yes. and and But that's kind of what we consider Ozark Mountain Daredevil hub. Right. Yeah. So they'll be opening for them. And I wanted to, to run down uh, Jim Dandy. But first, before we go to that... Um, you know, they were at their peak in the early to mid-70s. Heck, they even played the Royal Albert Hall in London. In London. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they had arrived. They they made it huge. So um, let's go to the KTV archives. And Frank Thomas went to the Black Oak area. Uh, they had a compound there that the whole band and their families lived. Except... By now, they're not in Black Oak. Now they're in Oakland. That's right. Yes. It's outside of Black Oak. It's, no, 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 no. no. It's the not? Only, here's the only reason I know this. Okay. Oakland is right across from Bull Shoals Lake from oh, where I grew up. Lake. right. This was huge news for us. Black Oak, Arkansas, lit, they were practically our neighbors. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, KTV went up there and hung out. And this is a portion of Frank Thomas's news report. Black Oak, Arkansas. To a generation of young Americans, the phrase for energetic rock and roll. And to the parents of those young Americans, the symbol of rebellion and loud music. The members of Black Oak still live in Arkansas near the community of Oakland on Bull Shoals Lake. The band's members and their families live behind this high fence in a group of cabins that once served as a hunting lodge. Black Oak has undergone some changes in the past few years. There are now new faces, but the energy behind the music is still this man, Jim Mangrum, who was raised in the Delta country of eastern Arkansas. Black Oak's early music, of which there are 14 albums, were categorized by critics as raunch and roll. But in the newest album, Race with the Devil, the sound has mellowed somewhat, and so has Jim Mangrum, who is proud of his musical heritage. And, and rock and roll was started and has meaning to me and started me in, in believing all these things because, you know, Carl Perkins and Elvis said, you can do anything you want to do, just don't step on my blue suede shoes. That was a statement of freedom, and it meant something to me. Well, um, I found Jim Dandy. He's moved back. He lived in Memphis for a long time. Uh, I had talked to him a few years ago about doing a prior center interview, and then we sort of lost touch, and I got back in touch with him. He's living in Black Oak, in his grandmother's old house. Um, he's married. He just turned 74, by the way. Let me throw that in there. But he has... That'll be an important number to, re to remember here in a couple of minutes. Yes, two young kids. Yeah. They're one and three. And he talks about them. But he, when I talk to him, he's out on the front porch, and you can kind of hear them in the background. But, uh, well... Let's hear from him talking about touring. Are you looking forward to playing in Arkansas? You're you're I'm doing your to playing anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
nothing against Arkansas. Yeah. I'm here all the time. Nobody really knows it. I mean, I'm in my mom at my grandma's house. She's got a screened-in front porch, and and I'm up out here with my my two youngest kids, my three-year-old boy, Sean William, and my little girl. She's one year old. Uh, mine, Sam's. These are our youngest right here. These we got more than that, but <laughs> I mean, hell, my oldest is 34. That'll make you feel old. <laughs> but uh, but this is a uh, this is my life, you know. I live in this house here, and we uh we have a happy home. So is is music still fun for you? Playing music? Oh yeah, more than ever. It don't get Tell less fun that. for you. <laughs> it don't get less fun <laughs> for you. Nothing gets less fun for you. You may not be able to last as long, but you, you're better than you ever was. You know what I mean? And, you know, now think about it. You you mentioned that they started in the 60s, and he talks about um, Blue Suede Shoes. Jim Dandy's onstage presence was a direct line back to Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis and, and those sorts of... Um, why quote wild men of rock and roll right i mean he was a showman first and foremost on big stage, time just like big those time. early rock I mean, and rollers they were even after their their albums weren't selling as big as they were their shows were still yeah. selling out so they were a giant draw and uh he's imitated um david lee roth from yes. van halen yes. even admits that he stole a bunch of uh, his on stage, his mannerisms and, and presence, yeah. and antics. And I asked Jim Dandy about that, and he said, "Hey, you know, I asked, do you, do you take any offense to that, or do you consider it, you know, a, a compliment?" Right. And he said, "Hey, nothing's original." He said, "I stole a bunch of stuff, and if people want to take things from me, go for let it. Let them do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah." So he, he was, he's a real good sport about it. So uh, he's from Arkansas. Yep. They travel all over the world, but he always talked about his love of Arkansas and the Ozarks. So let's check back in with, with Frank Thomas where he talks about being from Arkansas. You might think a man who has made it as a rock musician might prefer to live where the lights are bright and the style of life fast. But Jim Mangrum says he has special feelings for the state he grew up in and chooses to stay. I love Arkansas. I do. It's, uh, it is a land of opportunity. It's uh, an antiquated state in a lot of ways. But that, in a sense, is its virtue. But, you know, I tell people in England and places like that, you've got to come in America for you. Don't just go to New York or L.A. and say that's America. Come in America. You know, come down and see me in the Ozarks. All right, that is a 1978 report from the KATV archives at the Pryor Center. But your conversation with Jim Dandy was within the last few weeks. Right, and um, this was right before his 74th birthday. And so I wanted to know, you know, he's moved back to Arkansas, and I wanted to know about his feelings uh, about the state. Life in Arkansas is... uh I don't know how to explain it, but it's what made me what I am. And they may want to talk bad about me, they want to talk good about me, but whatever I am, I was much created by them as I am anything. They can blame themselves, okay? Because, I mean, I'm happy with me, but I don't know if I can advise anybody. But, I mean, you know, my wife likes me babysit the kids, so I guess she trusts me a little. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jim Dandy uh, 
from Black Oak, Arkansas, a band that has been together more or less since they were. There there have been a lot of versions. I mean, a lot of players in and out. um, But it's always been, you know, the core uh, of Jim Dandy. Right. He's been the, you know, the heart of the band. There, There were a couple of years that I think Black Oak toured some without him but you know they've come out with an album fairly recently yeah I, yeah within the last few years right yeah so um why don't we listen to the last part of frank thomas's report okay and you actually hear about mangrum's lack of education or his uh desire to uh educate children and his philanthropy. Jim Mangrum never finished high school. In fact, he was kicked out for taking the school's public address system in order to make music. But he is a believer in education, and Black Oak played a big part in providing the children of the community with a new school. I got to be honest with you. I have a child going there, too. And I wanted the books to be better. I wanted the building to be better. You know, and I was just the kind of guy that wasn't going to stand with no for an answer, you know. We had an angle. Now, all the other parents around here probably would have done it, too, if they'd had an angle. During our conversation, I uh, found out they're working on a new album. And uh, it's supposed to come out later this year. There may actually be a Christmas song on it, but the rest, uh, he's going to tell us about it. Yeah, we're recording it uh, as we're, right now. Starting to put the icing on the cake. It's the best thing. It, but it's... Uh, it's Everybody questions me doing it, but uh, at the time, we weren't playing a whole bunch. I took the deal because uh, we've never done a cover song album. We've done cover songs often, you know, you know, a lot of times one or two on a, per album. But uh, we had a chance to do this one and do some songs that, uh, that uh, <laughs> people have been wanting me to do for a while in a way all the way back when we first started. So it's going to be cover songs. All covers. Wow. And, you know, they were known in their live shows to do a couple of cover songs. This is going to be an entire album covers. And, you know, it's going to, they, they're going to do some Bob Dylan all along mm-hmm. the Watchtower. Oh, wow. They do Sympathy for the Devil, their version from the Rolling Stones. They do some Neil Young. And then, like I said, maybe even a Christmas tune. I, they're working on it. I'm anxious to hear that. Yeah. And so finally I asked him about, you know, his his long lasting love of music. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And I love what I do. But, you know, you've got to love it because it's a lot of work if you don't love it. Yeah. And uh, it's but it's it, you're getting to do and work at something you love. And if you get to do something you love, and make a living doing something you love, you've made it, buddy. I don't care if you're rich or not, but if you can make a living doing that. I can't tell you. you. You've done it. You beat the system. Found <laughs> 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 the loophole. <laughs> I, I agree with him. If you can figure out what you love to do and you can do it for as long as he's done it, you have. You are ahead of the game. Well, you know, you make it to 74 and... Doing what you love to do. Absolutely. And On the front porch with your kids. Well, and he, and he has a wife that uh, he loves, and she's in the band. So she'll be I, on stage at I the think, Odd? yeah. Yeah, I think she maybe took Ruby Starr's place. She was the singer that would sing, you know, Jim Dandy. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, her name is Sammy B. Sofine. 
Sammy B. So fine. Yes, right. and the the mother of uh, the two young children. And so, yeah, she'll be at the show. And I asked her about, you know, what what fans would be able to see. And she said there's going to be some old stuff, old classics. There'll be some new material from their most recent album, which was in 2019. It's called Underdog Heroes. Okay. Uh, and so there'll just be a great mix of stuff. I'm going. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. They have to do. They have to do the song that ends, I think, their album, Black Oak, Arkansas, when electricity came to Arkansas. Oh, yeah. It's like a six and a half, on the record, it's a six and a half minute sort of instrumental jam. And once you hear it, it will not leave you. Well, and I was telling him, um, <laughs> and I'm going to have to play this one of these times, I have in the archives the last rural town ben in Hur. Arkansas, yes, ben to Hur, get electricity. Yeah. And KTV was there when, the, when they flipped the switch, and oh they even gosh. gave the town a, a television set <laughs> so they could watch <laughs> Channel 7 in Ben-Hur. And that's in Newton County, right? Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to end this with? Well, you know, like the songs that they did, uh, Electricity Came to Arkansas. They There were a lot of Arkansas theme songs, and I found this one, and it's not a, as they used to call their music, raunch and roll. Right. It, it's a nice, you know, they have a steel guitar in yeah. it. It's, it's kind of a nice ballad, and um, it's called... The Hills of Arkansas. Can we close on that We'll one? close on that. I'm with Randy Dixon, who is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. I'll see you next week after the show. There's a girl that I recall In the hills of Arkansas Her eyes were green, her eyes were brown She had the prettiest eyes around Both the Razorback baseball and softball teams will stay ranked solidly inside the top 10 after successful weekends in Fayetteville. The baseball team swept a three-game series from LSU, and the softball team took two of three against Kentucky. Baseball will next host Arkansas State tomorrow night and Wednesday afternoon, while the softball Razorbacks are off until opening a three-game conference series at Florida Friday night. The best-ever collegiate decathlon record now belongs to Razorback Aiden Owens. Owens recorded an 8,528-point performance at the Mount Sac Relays in California, the best performance in the world so far this season. That mark also improves on the previous Puerto Rican record already hold already owned by Owens. Several schools in our listening area will be competing for state titles later this month in the annual academic competition Quiz Bowl. Each of the state championship matches will be shown live on Arkansas PBS April 23rd. The 7A championship places Fort Smith Southside against Rogers. Russellville will face Benton in the 5A matchup. The 4A championship features Subiaco Academy against Berryville. The 2A matchup is Haas Hall Academy of Bentonville against Lifeway Christian of Centerton. And the 1A championship is Haas Hall Academy of Rogers versus Norfolk. The matches can be seen on Arkansas PBS beginning at 9 a.m. April 23rd, as well as streamed at myarpbs.org. The perspective that being in Arkansas and uh, the different community partners, the different organizations that exist here, have brought to my understanding of what the role of business could be. These decisions are made by human beings. And so, yeah, it starts with us, right? Welcome to Points of Departure, a new podcast from the Arkansas Global Changemakers in coordination with KUAF Public Radio.
with hosts Rahelio Garcia Contreras, Lawrence Hare Jr., and me, Lee Wood, where we aim to put pressing social issues into global context and bring communities together to bring local solutions to global challenges. You can listen to Points of Departure for free at KUAF.com, and you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Ozarks Launch. Thanks for spending part of your Monday with us. The University of Arkansas Latin American Music Ensemble will present its spring concert tomorrow night in the University of Arkansas Black Box Theater inside the UA Global Campus on Center Street. That's just off the square in Fayetteville. The concert, Winds of the Southeast, will feature African, indigenous, and European influences on the Latin sound. Fernando Valencia is the director of the ensemble. Tomorrow night's concert, free and open to the public. It will begin at 7.30. Tonight, Waxahachie is on stage at George's Majestic Lounge. That's from Waxahachie's most recent record, St. Cloud. The song is titled Arkadelphia. Doors tonight at 7. Music scheduled to begin at 8 at George's. More information at georgeslive.com. By the way, proof of vaccination is required for entry tonight. Later this week, two quartets in Joplin will join for a free performance of Mendelssohn's String Octet. The concert, the last of the current Pro Musica season, features the Jasper and Juniper Quartets in performance at the First Presbyterian Church of Joplin Thursday night at 7. The musicians are conducting a master class at the church on Friday. More can be found at promusicajoplin.org. And this, this is Little Milton. If I don't love you, baby Grits ain't grocery, eggs ain't poultry, and Mona Lisa was a man. The Mississippi-born guitarist, songwriter, and singer is one of the musicians featured in a cast of blues that's on exhibit at 214 in downtown Springdale. The collection of resin casts of blues greats is open to the public for free from 10 until 5, Monday through Saturday, as a presentation of the Music Education Initiative. 
Hospitalizations because of COVID-19 are low. In northwest Arkansas, three patients with the virus were in hospitals in Benton and Washington counties Friday night. Medical professionals are stressing the pandemic isn't over, and people who haven't been vaccinated are at risk of becoming quite sick if they catch the disease. But it's no secret that life is approaching, perhaps has already become, the level of activity that existed before the pandemic. This week, KUAF is hosting a gathering to help people re-engage. We invited Jasper Logan, KUAF's community engagement officer, and Pete Hartman, our operations director, to come to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to tell us about Friday's session. Jasper Logan says it's part of an exercise in coming back together. For the last, like, you know, however long, like, we haven't, I think both in, like, in two senses, right? Like, in a, like personal like KUAF sense like our volunteers like haven't had many opportunities to engage with each other and with um, the community through us but then also in a much broader sense right like our world has we've because of like the pandemic we've limited ourselves in terms of like actually engaging with one another and so like as things like slowly start to change right (laughs) Uh, and like go back to uh, uh, a new normal um, we wanted to just um, provide we wanted to start the process of providing this opportunity for our volunteers and uh, we wanted to um, just have them re-engage with one another and then like give them opportunities to sort of re-engage with their community. A lot has changed in that time Um, and so this is the perfect opportunity to kind of like step outside and see like you know what's changed in our community um, what things are different and uh, how can we get our hands dirty and help so. All right. Yeah. Um, What's going to happen? This is going to take place Friday? Mm-hmm. At Friday. the Carver Center for Public Radio, five to seven p.m. Uh, we're gonna. It, it's gonna be a fun thing. I got to say, um, we're gonna have a number of different nonprofits actually here in the house uh, set up with little stations. You can walk around, find out about them. Jasper, I, Sherry, some other were, uh, staff. Every once in a while, we'll kind of tell what we're doing, and and like Jasper said, what we're doing is hoping to create a KUAF action team, if you will. Um, a number of different volunteers to where hopefully every week we can uh, maybe a number of different events or groups that need help, volunteer help. We can then contact our different members of the action team, send them to these different places. Uh, We'll definitely be using them for our own events. Definitely. It's just that in the past, the KUAF volunteer had one very important job, answer phones during the fundraiser. Well, that's another one of those changes Mm -hmm. over the last two years. We may never have a phone bank during a fundraiser again. But it also got us thinking during these two years, we know our listeners so passionate about this area, their own communities. We could do better than just giving you a PSA each local spot, which, okay, does great things. Mm -hmm. But we really, and especially with, with Jasper coming on board, we just want to make that connection to the public even more so than what we've already got it. Get this team together and just be able to, how cool would it be to many of these events uh, to have seven or eight KUAF action members with their shirts on, helping out. I I just got to say, it's going to be a really cool thing. Now, this is the first one of these we're doing. Um, So, yeah, it's a drop-in event, five to seven, come by hear what we're talking about, maybe even speak to some of these groups. We're going to, uh, I mean, right now we've got Seven Hills Homeless Center, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Salvation Army, Elizabeth Richardson Center, mm-hmm. Pearl, a few more will be here. 
But yeah, we just want to, uh, there'll be a little survey. Fill out a survey. Maybe that will let us know things that you're interested in. Then we can focus that interest to other things. We just want to build this team um, and, and really get out there because we know our listeners want to. You know, Kyle, there have been whole nonprofits that have not survived right. these last two years. But there have also been nonprofit community groups that have come up during this time, too. We've had volunteers from the past who've have had a gap now, but we're looking for people who maybe have never volunteered before. Yeah, for sure, definitely. The the the, the goal it's 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 twofold, right? Like it's it's we want to re-engage um, our volunteers um, who have volunteered with us in the past, um, but also like we want this to be kind of as a resource for our community. So as like people come in and as like you know our community is growing, like people are moving into this area um, rapidly. And so um, as KUAF, like part of our goal is to like just serve our community and to be utilized as a resource, um, primarily through like, you know, radio and like connections. But also, like, I think we want to expand that resource ability. Um, And so how great would it be is if as someone moved in, they could connect it through this volunteer program from listening to on the radio, and then they get connected to a organization. Um, let's say they get connected to, um, I don't know, Seven Hills or Potter's House or whatever, wh- whatever the case may be. And then they go, oh, not only, all right, now I get to see what this organization is doing and how it could how it helps this community, but also I get to volunteer with someone else that I never met before, and now I get to learn about them, and we get to build a connection, and then that leads outside. That just adds to the idea of community, and so like we want to just help feed this this idea of community and be utilized as a resource for people coming in, for new volunteers, for people already existing within this community, um, and 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 like P said, like there's tons of new nonprofits. There's tons of places that are needing help in this area. Um, and so how great, like, would it be if like people can like learn more about those things firsthand by helping out and stuff. So, you know, for some time, KUAF has been more than a radio station. I think our listeners know that. No, no more than now. Um, and between Jasper and I, uh, with these community outreach things, mm-hmm. you're just going to see more and more of these from us. Because we should be more than a radio station, specifically public radio, so tied to this community. And we have been for 37, 38 years. Uh, But uh, stay tuned because the future is only going to be so much, I don't know, cooler, neater. It's just we're jazzed about this. I know Jasper is. I know I am. Um, Yeah, we just – the thing is, though, we need to see you. We need to uh, have you come through. Yeah. Again, Friday, 5 to 7 p.m., drop in, hear what we're trying to say, and who knows? We get this team started. Snacks? Yep. We'll have sure. snacks. We'll have some drinks. Uh, we'll have some music going. And so, nice. yeah, come in, drop in, talk to a few folks, and uh, learn more about what we got going on. It's going to be a fun thing. Actually. Yeah. Uh, hopefully good weather. We'll have the the uh, picnic tables with the umbrellas out. All right. It'll be fun. Yeah. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Let's go. All right. Thank you both. Thank you, Kyle. Pete Hartman is KUAF's Operation Director. Jasper Logan is our Community Engagement Officer. They spoke with me inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio last Friday. KUAF is supported by TC Screen Printing and Apparel. 
and the Arkansas Shirt Club, offering a subscription-based monthly mail delivery of Arkansas-themed T-shirts celebrating the good people, outdoors, and places called home. Subscription information and more are available at ArkansasShirtClub.com. Tomorrow on our next Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large, the Middleton Grammarian is back with us. She's picked one letter of the alphabet and words that she didn't know the definition of until she looked them up. I think one of the reasons I didn't know the definition is that I've mostly heard the word as part of a Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. newspaper at the time, New Orleans Times-Picayune. The definition of Picayune and other words that begin with the letter P. From the Middleton Grammarian, tomorrow on Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 on 91.3 KUAF. Anytime you want with the Ozarks at Large podcast. So, you want to vote in the next election. Simple, right? You'll just need a photo ID. Oh, uh, do you know where your polling place is? What district are you registered in? Do you have proof of address? Who's on the ballot again? Which primary are you voting in? And what exactly is a primary? Hi, I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Daniel Carruth. And I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. And in our latest podcast, Natural Election, we're peeling back the curtain on voting and elections in Arkansas ahead of the primaries on May 24th. From voting rights to registering to vote. And some of the quirks about elections in the natural state. The first episode airs Tuesday, April 19th. Listen to Natural Election wherever you get your podcasts. And tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, we'll hear a segment for Natural Election. It's about voter registration. That's with Matthew Moore on tomorrow's edition of Ozarks at Large. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Elkins. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Timothy Dennis produced today's show inside the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio. You can hear more news from the area and the state every weekday morning at 5.30 and 7.30 with Daniel Carruth, his newscast inside Morning Edition from the Karen Taha News Studio. Contributors to today's Ozarks at Large included Jacqueline Froelich, Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History, Jasper Logan, and Pete Hartman. I'm Kyle Kellums. We are back tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. And we're always on your schedule with the free Ozarks at Large podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, and by the way, you can also go online to OzarksAtLarge.com. There we have past full episodes of our show, as well as individual stories and interviews. And with each of those, a link that allows you to share them through email or social media. Thanks so much for being with us. Hope you had a great Easter weekend. We're back tomorrow. Talk again very soon.